the book of Colossians is, um, many people believe that it exalts the Lord Jesus more than any other of the epistles that we have in the New Testament. Uh, we talk about the preeminence of Christ. And Colossae is one of these, what we call prison epistles. We looked at, uh, and we spent months in the book of Acts, preaching a series through that. And we see that uh, Paul wound up in custody uh, in Rome. And from there, we see that, we know that he wrote uh, Ephesus, or he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, um, to, to these, uh, and Philemon uh, during this time. And so there's a couple of others we, we can wonder about. There's a debate about when the Lord, or when Paul did write the book of Galatians. Some people believe it's the first, and some people believe, it, believe it's a, uh, a uh, prison epistle. I, the more I read it, the more I think it was one of the first ones. But uh, there again, it's uh, nothing to argue about. If God would have wanted us to know, he would have told us. But, uh, but there again, we see that um, Colossians, though, is written to a certain group of people that are in the city of Colossae. Uh, one reason, we get the word Colossus from that. And many people believe that they, they're another one of those giant statues to the gods like the uh, Colossus of Rhodes, which was not, uh, that was actually in uh, what present-day Turkey, or, or, or excuse me, over uh, on, the, on the west coast of, of Turkey. But uh, Colossae was inland, so it wasn't the same place. But um, Colossians, uh, written by Paul in, in imprisonment in Rome in about uh, 62 AD, which is uh, about, um, oh, well, just a few years before he's going to, be martyred by Nero. Um, he never went to Colossae. However, uh, he spent a lot of times in Ephesus, which was about a 90, mile, 90 miles to the east. And so uh, Colossae was in a valley to the west of Ephesus. Uh, it was in a what we would call a tri-city area. Um, this valley was very wealthy, much like uh, what, what's the valley out in California, Napa Valley is very wealthy, as well as uh, Silicon Valley. And I mean, that's where the ritzy people lived. These were the upper, these were the 909, was it 90210 or 9210 or whatever uh, zip codes. Um, this was, um, there were three cities. One was Hierapolis. Then there was also Colossae. And then, of course, the city that uh, the Lord Jesus wrote to in the book of Revelation, and that's the church of Laodicea. And so those were the three cities. And we know that Laodicea, the big problem they had was they were very wealthy and they were very cold toward the things of the Lord. Now, you'll, well, as we go through this book, we're going to see that he makes reference to Laodicea and how that these people, uh, that some of the pastors like Epaphras and others, probably helped found this church. Ephesus was a core church. In fact, the seven churches of Revelation, uh, six of them probably were either influenced or started from the church of Ephesus. And Colossae would have been an offshoot of that. It wasn't written directly. Um, someone, some people say, well, what is there? There's um, 21 epistles. And some people know, say, no, there's not 21 epistles, there's 28 because, you know, seven more in, in the book of Revelation that the Lord Jesus wrote himself. 
And so unto the church of Ephesus, right. You know, so we see that uh, uh, these were epistles that were written to real churches, to real people, to real pastors. To, and and um, each one of them had their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, some of them had more weaknesses and strengths than others that he didn't even mention their weaknesses because they were going through such, such trials. And so, uh, but Colossae now is going to be one of those uh, upscale churches. And as a result, they're going to be a church that is filled full of the challenges of that age. And one of the big problems that we're going to see in this book is that it was an education center. And they had all the, uh, the fads of that day. They had the Epicureans, which were the people who said that you, you, know, you experience God by living life. And the more try it, you'll like it. And whatever you get into, you know, this is of God. And then you had the Stoics. And the Stoics were the people who said, no, you, you know, knowledge is God. And the more that we can discipline our bodies, mind over matter. And of course, this all came from what uh, they called Gnosticism. Gnosko is a word meaning I know. Gnosticism is uh, the idea of knowledge is power. Knowledge is God. Uh, Aldous Huxley, one of our uh, uh, philosophers, uh, atheists back in the turn of the, the 20th century, uh, was well known, and he was the one who coined the term agnostic. And that's the idea, well, we know, but we really don't know about God. Oh, yeah, he might be out there, but he's, you know, uh, noncommittal. We don't have to commit. We just know there's something might, maybe out there, but we're kind of agnostic. We're kind of neutral in the situation. Well, you can't be neutral toward God. But it's interesting, if you go back and study the etymology of that word agnostic, uh, really, it, uh, to the Greek, that would mean you are an agnoramus or an ignoramus. <laughs> so so that, uh, I don't think Huxley meant it to be that way. I'm not sure he's a Greek scholar, but uh, there again, uh, in other words, you just want to be totally ignorant about God. You want to throw it off and not uh, think about God. And yet, um, and he was one of the men that uh, he loved Darwin because he says, if Darwin is correct, I can do whatever I want to and never have to worry. Well, Darwin is not correct. You know, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. And so we know that, uh, um, that, but that was a whole philosophy back then. And there's nothing new under the sun. We see that uh, uh, what happens with Satan, he just takes from generation to generation uh, old stuff that he has, and he revamps it and repackages it and sends it out there again, and people swallow it again. But uh, now with that, then, we see that um, uh, Gnosticism, which was going to be a big problem and with all of its derivatives that we've mentioned, um, and... Uh, you know, God did not create the universe directly. You know, it just kind of happened. God threw it out there, but it, you know, he kind of left it man to, man to his own devices. And uh, really, there's not an Adam and Eve. It just kind of, we don't know how we got here, but, you know, evolution. And, uh, and when you notice in evolution, when they can't figure out something, then all of a sudden they push it back a few trillion years. You know, and they just lose it in time. And they said something had to happen. Well, there was a spark. There was a big bang or whatever else that changed everything. 
And of course, that goes against the laws of dynamic, thermodynamics. You don't make order out of chaos. Uh, chaos comes from disorder. So, but there again, it's the, the way that man's mind thinks as it is corrupted um, in trying to defy God. But um, salvation comes from wisdom. The more you know, the more that karma, where we can all get together and know together. Like uh, that lady that, uh, uh, she was a professor for San Diego U uh, State University. I was reading about that. And she took all of her, uh, her class out to the Pacific Ocean. And they had a, I guess a seance or whatever you will call it. But they all meditated on the power of the earth and of nature. Isn't that great? And we're all one with the earth. Boy, doesn't that sound great? No. <laughs> you know? uh, there again, in other words, there's nothing more than pantheism, which is we worship the earth. And that's really what you fall into with uh, people like John Denver, Denver. Rocky Mountain High. He went up on the mountain. His testimony was that he went up and he saw a uh, star shower or meteor shower uh, up in the Rocky Mountains, and that's where he was born again. Uh, he, in nature, and if you listen to a lot of his songs, it's about nature. It's not about nature's God or the God who created nature. And so, again, it's this pantheism, this idea that, you know, if we're just educated enough, and if we're really sensitive, nirvana, and get into the spiritual yoga of the day, then we are really into knowledge. And really, if you're into that, and I'm into that, and we and you're over on a Pacific island, and I'm here in Illinois, but our thoughts go up together. And somewhere in that stratosphere, they merge, and we have karma. Doesn't that sound great? Uh, it's mysticism. And that's exactly what the, what the Colossians were into. And so we see that Paul is writing and he's going to tell them, and as we read this, he's saying, no, there's a definite God. There's, he, he made the universe. He is, he's the very substance that holds it together. He is who he is, says he is, and just right on down the list of, uh, of who, and so he, he, he dispels that. And then you throw in the Jewish aspect of this. And Colossians was one big cosmopolitan mess because the Jews were coming in and they were saying no um, and, go in, and really challenging the church. No, you've got to apply the law to grace. And so here you have the religious element, you have the secular element, you have the philosophical element, all these things that are uh, crashing down on the people of Colossae. You can imagine what it would be like to try to raise your kids in a situation like that where they go to school and they're taught all this stuff. And then you're old fashioned or you just, or whatever, you know, all the things that they'd say about, your, about the kids in Colossae is what they would say about you as a Christian today. And so, uh, you know, and there again, mind over matter. If I really think that I am, you know, that's, a, you know, that's Aristotle, you know, I think, therefore I am. So if I think, and if I'm intellectual enough, and I think that I am something that I'm not, 
you know, I told you about uh, um, and one of my son's uh, cities. They had a big referendum about because the taxpayers got all up in arms because the school system was going to put litter boxes in the bathrooms so, because some of the kids identified as cats. I mean, this is going on in our education system. I mean, mind over matter. And there again, you get into this whole idea of matter is evil and mind is karma and all that. And really, that's Christian science. That's uh, what this uh, church, this building was. At one time, that is, I'm not sick. I just think I'm sick. You know, and so if I really think enough of God. And so so you can think yourself out of being sick. Well, you know, that pretty well has died off because... Uh, these the, the churches that really had their heyday back in the early 20s and 30s, what, what happened to them? The people died. <laughs> you know, so there again, um, that's the reason we have this building now is because it was an old Christian science building. It's neither Christian nor science. And so, um, so we have the, these things that are going on. And so you can imagine as Paul's writing this and as we're giving you the background of this, uh, all matter is evil. That means uh, that hairspray my wife sprayed that morning, this morning stinks like the high heaven and it's evil. I told her it was evil. No, 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 it's not evil. <laughs> you know, I bought it for her, but uh, um, I just think she's pretty. No, she's pretty. You know, she's definitely pretty. I don't care what, you know, what all this kind of stuff. But, um, but I think therefore I am. No, no, what they do, of course, how close does that come to what the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what the devil does, he just takes something that is definite and twists it into iniquity. Iniquity is twisted thinking. And so he takes the truth of God and twists it. And so uh, we see that, um, that there is just unrestrained immorality going on. And even the Stoics, they were fluid. Does that sound good? Uh, I could be a stoic one day, but my, if there's a big old party downtown, I can go down and live it up with the But then I could be very stoic the next day. You know, that's, that's fluid, isn't it? That's gender fluid or whatever you want. That's, uh, uh, that's lighter fluid, really. You're going to burn in hell one day for, with those type beliefs. But uh, here we see that, uh, that this is the, the stage in which the, 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 you can imagine Epaphras or whoever the pastor was opening this letter and reading it. And then he was to pass it on down to the churches at Hierapolis and the church in Laodicea. And so Laodicea got more than just one message. And so they were warned several times. But um, in Colossians, and remember what God said, so, well, now Paul wrote uh, 30 years later, or excuse me, John wrote 30 years after Paul. Remember, by that time, the Lord said to Laodicea, you make me so sick that I want to puke. And now when you make God sick, you're in dangerous territory. And so we see a generation later, it just kept on going downhill. But now in saying that, in verse 1 of Colossians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the definite will of God, and Timothy, our brother to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Okay. Grace to you and peace from God our Father 
even the Lord Jesus Christ. When you see the word and, it's the word K-A-I, Kai. And that, um, and it's a rules of Greek that whenever you have something equal on each side of that word, it can be translated, uh, it's, it's equal value. In other words, um, the syntax tells us that he is saying God the Father and also God our Lord Jesus Christ. Jehovah, Lord Jesus, uh, Jehovah is Lord Jesus Christ. So they're both equal. So you can translate that word even. Um, he says, we give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which he has given to you. Now, whenever you read the, the uh, epistles of Paul, look for three things. And he tells the Corinthians this, there's three things that remain. What are they? Faith, hope, and love. Now, when he leaves out one of them, that'll be the one that he will be dealing with. With the Colossians, he left out hope because they were under a lot of persecution. So what's Colossians known for? Joy in the Lord, right? So he really zeroes in on that. Uh, when he deals with the uh, Ephesians, he kind of, he, he talks about love, but it's uh, to a weaker point than the hope that they have. And so, well, and so, well anyway, um, but here we have that this church is pretty strong. They have both faith, hope, and love. Thessalonians is one that really brings it out. They, I mean, that was a church that his, one of his first letters to, and he rejoiced in their faith, hope, and love that they had. But you'll see in this passage that he says, um, since we heard of your faith in the Lord and Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. So you've got it all but keep it. And he says, I'm writing to you because all these things are under attack in your life. So he says, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which he has to you, and it is also to all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. Now that he's going to be dealing with truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What is truth? Truth is reality. And so when you escape truth, uh, truth, then you're becoming vain in your imaginations. So whenever a person starts escaping truth and they start becoming vain in their imaginations, then they become very fluid in a lot of things that are not reality. I think, therefore I am. Well, you could think you're a bird all you want to, but if I drop you off this building, you might have a problem. All right? You can be gender fluid all you want to. Uh, you can be a male bird or, or, a, uh, or a female bird, but you're going to be a dead bird if you, you know. <laughs> uh, so again, truth is reality, and he's going to deal with truth because Jesus Christ is truth. He's reality. He says... Uh, the, the grace of God and truth, as you have learned from Epaphras. Notice he was the guy, Paul never went to Ephesus. So, um, but um, Epaphras was one of the disciples from, uh, from, that was sent from, to Ephesus and from there. Of our fellow servant, 
who is is a faithful minister of Christ and on your behalf. And we also declared to us the love, he he, he reported to us, us, your love in the Spirit. So Epaphras came back to Paul in Rome and he said, you know, these, these people are, they've really got it. They love the Lord. When you get into their services, you can just sense the love of God. You can sense the presence of God there. When you get with them, they, you know, in their private lives, you know, they just reflect God. One of the things that my children who have moved around quite a bit and they're, and I'm just talking to one last night and since we're on the internet, I won't mention him. But uh, he says, Dad, I'm going to churches and, and, you know, they're supposed to be like, but when you get there, you feel so cold. You feel so like they are, you know, just, who are you? Like, you don't even make sure that they even want you there. Uh, us four, no more, you know. Or if they do, if they do uh, invite you in, then they have a checklist. Do you do this, this, this? Do you believe this? Where did you go to school? All this kind of stuff. He says, I just want to go to church and, you know, blend in. And, and so that's what we try to do here. Um, anybody can come here. We want... Anybody with any of the sins that we mentioned, and you know the ones we preach against, when they come here and they're coming to, to observe what we're doing or worship with us or whatever, whatever they, in other words, God's calling them here, we treat them with love. We don't say, hey, what's that? You took in yeah, we, you know, we took in old Rob up there, right? But uh, there again, if we take in Rob, we can take in anybody. No, but, <laughs> but, uh, but no. Uh, we want people to feel that. Uh, even uh, now, if they're coming here to make a political statement, that's a different ballgame. Or if they're coming here to change us, that's a different ballgame. But if they're coming here to say, Who is your God? We're ready to present the Lord Jesus Christ to them. And so we want to treat them with Christian compassion. I think of one man that uh, we have had problems with, and I won't mention him. He's very foul-mouthed. Well, he's not welcome if all he's going to do is come and corrupt our atmosphere. But if he comes with a spirit of just wanting to listen, then he's more than welcome to be here. And we, you know, we, we've had different people like that through. Well, <clears throat> if, they, if he comes and says, oh, I just want to, uh, want to worship with you this morning, and he doesn't even know what worship is, I'm not going to question him. You just come, and we hope the power of the word will take over in your life. And that's one thing we got to be careful with. We don't, oh, look, that person dresses like an Arab. Well, praise the Lord, they came. Amen. Hey, we want to give an Arab the gospel, because you know, or whatever. When I say an Arab, uh, Muslim, whatever, you know, whatever I'm talking about. Uh, they come, <clears throat> well, let's say they come as a Chinese with a toga and a little beanie or whatever. Hey, whatever. The one thing we want to do is not say, hey, you're different, but to accept them as they are, just as they are without one plea. And that's what the gospel's all about. And so we got to be, you know, that's one thing, and really that's my responsibility is to make sure that I keep preaching that, that we don't make people, now if they come, and sometimes people come, and they just feel under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, praise the Lord, that's the God speaking to them. Uh, that's fine too. But uh, we want to, now we don't want to do, overdo it and just, oh, you know, sometimes you, you try too hard, but just accept them as they are. And so we see that that's what Epaphras felt. He said, these people really, they've got the real thing. 
And so as a result of that, notice in verse 9, he says, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge. And now he's beginning with a kind of an interesting word. It's hidden in the Greek again. But the word here is not just gnosko, knowledge. But he puts a little uh, prefix before it. And it's epigonosko. I want you to know the super knowledge of God. I mean, I don't want you to be on the level. I want you to know the transcendent knowledge of God that passes understanding. And so he's lifting knowledge up from knowledge is God to if you know the supernatural God, then you have supernatural knowledge. I like the way he does that. So he begins right off the bat by saying, hey, listen, you've got something that those people have no idea what they're talking about. And so he says, uh, you're filled with the knowledge of his will and wisdom and spiritual understanding. There it is, that you may walk worthy and walk is uh, just a habit, a lifestyle, that you walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the super knowledge of God. So I want you to know more. So I want you as a pastor, I want you to know more when you leave here about God, about the Word of God than when you got here. You know, I want to feed the Word of God. And so the knowledge of God strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Remember, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. In him was life, or light. And that light is the life of men. The light of the world is Jesus. And so the world is in darkness, and we've been talking about that on, uh, in Isaiah. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed to us the kingdom of his son, of the son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And so here we have been redeemed by the super, by what the power of God has done through the knowledge of him as he has revealed himself to us and we have recognized him and we've submitted ourselves to him as our king. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. And so here we see that uh, these people, you have the super knowledge if you have that and you, if you can sing that song with confidence. I mean, not that you're better than the world. It's just that you possess something that the world desperately needs. So don't look down on those university professors who think that you're a hayseed and those people that say you're old-fashioned. Now, of course, I want to be as, you know, I don't want to bring attention to myself as being old-fashioned or flamboyant. I, want, I don't want people to notice me other than the dignity of what I represent. But if uh, uh, Evelyn the other day, I really praise the Lord for that, I was wearing a tie hat and wearing about 
at least five years, but I found it and I said, oh, and she, oh, I like that tie. Well, that's the first time in months that people have said anything about my dress, my, I mean, my costume. <laughs> but, but, you know, <laughs> but, you know, there again, I, was, I but, but, you know, nobody's ever said anything bad about it either. One time I did irritate a lady bad, and boy, she taught me something. She was, she had such a sharp tongue. She knew how to cut me down and she could do it good. I was just a young and experienced preacher and I was wearing my ties. And back then I didn't, I wasn't buying extra long ties because I'm 6'4". And uh, I would wear it and sometimes that tie would be up to here. And it just irritated her to no end. And she let me know what a crummy dresser I was and what I've learned. I've, I threw away all my old ties. And yes, I got some that are old now, but they are all extra long. <laughs> because I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want people sitting out there in the service saying, oh man, you know. But then again, I don't want them to say, hey, look at those alligator boots, man. And no, no, I don't, you know, I don't want that either. You know, I just want to preach the word. But I want to do it with dignity, so that's the reason I wear a coat and tie. I don't, I'm not going to come in a, in a lion shirt or whatever and dress down because I represent the king of heaven. And as the king of heaven, I'm going to dress up for him. Now, I'm not expecting everybody in the church to do it, but I represent God to a lot of people. I'm not God, and, I, and you know, I'm not going to take the place of God. I'm not a vicar. But when I preach the word of God, I want to make sure that my dress or my outfit <laughs> doesn't draw. Now, every once in a while I've talked to you ladies, I know some of you uh, get irritated about certain things, but I've, I've, I've uh, thought about just to be mean some Sunday morning of putting a string on my blue coat just to see you squirm, you know? No, I won't do that. But, you know, <laughs> but uh, there again, if I do that, then I've lost the message. You, know, you understand what I'm saying. Now, unfortunately, if I do that, it will be inadvertent. Now, my wife has at times come up uh, right before I preach, you've seen her do that. She'll brush off something or, or whatever. But that, there again, I'm not here to represent me. Let's get back to worshiping the Lord Jesus. I'm not here to entertain you, although we want it to be a very pleasant experience. But I want it to be, you know, I like what uh, someone says, you can have all the entertainment in the world, but unless the glory of God is coming from the pew, you've really failed. Because, it's, you know, we want a choir. I want to, uh, we had a lady play the violin the other day, and I got, I got a couple of messages from uh, two, three or four different states. That girl can really play. Well, I said, unfortunately, she was a missionary, you know, but there again, I wish she was in her church. But, uh, We want that. It blesses hearts. But in the end, it's the Word of God. It's what are we learning from the Word of God. And so we see that he says, it's the saints in the light who's delivered us from the power of darkness. That's the, you know, hello darkness, my old friend. We want to deliver, deliver people from the friendship of darkness. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And we want to be delivered from that darkness. And we want to be conveyed into the kingdom of his son, the son of his love, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins through his blood. Now, then we get into it, and we already talked. So there's the introduction. But now next week, we're going to get into verse 15 in the image of the invisible God. Now we're getting into imagery. And this is what uh, you know, the seances and everything else wants to do is bring some vision to your mind 
Well, let's talk about Jesus and who he is. And of course, uh, he, of course, when he walked the earth, he was he was the firstborn. Of, and th- those are positions, not uh, not uh, chronology. When you're the firstborn, and we know several people in the Old Testament, Jacob, uh, Joseph, they were firstborn, and yet they were in case Joseph's uh, case, eleventhborn, but they had that position of a spiritual authority over the rest of the family in the next generation. And so um, we'll look at that. And then uh, talks about who created. And here we'll get into the creation and the preeminence of God. Verse uh, 18, in him all things, he's preeminent over everything. And so that's a, so read ahead and we'll be getting into the real God of the real universe that he really created and that he really loves you and me. And he's real. We don't have to imagine it or go off into some nirvana, or get up on top of a mountain with our hands out, but that he can speak to us right here today because he promised me he would never leave me nor forsake me. God's real, isn't he? My God is real, we sing that song. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you can do in our hearts. Lord, teach us truth from error. May we, Lord, see error. May we can identify it and flee from it. But Lord, those people who are in error, those people that we are trying to reach with the gospel, may they see the love of Christ in our hearts. May people, when they come to church here, no matter what walk of life they're in, may they sense the love of God, your presence among the people. Lord, uh, something that can't quite understand the, that peace that passes understanding, that, uh, that knowledge that passes understanding, but something that is real because you have promised that you will walk with us and that you're with us. May the love of God be shown real to a lost and dying world. For I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.